Come on kids, now gather round Grab a log and sit right down What's that smell? What's that sound? You're on fire, now hit the ground It's the campfire shit show And now, your camp counselors Bo Hufford and Meryl Climo Meryl Hi, hi, hi Here we are again on our own We're not on our own I know, today not today Mm-mm. Today we've got we've got a special guest in the form of Joe Town Who is an actor uh, He's got a, a podcast that you're going to hear about um, He's an all-around nice guy And hella handsome Yeah Handsome dude I, I mean his pictures are really handsome We'll see what he looks like in real life When we're well, about to meet him for the first right. time ever Yeah But I would imagine he has, yeah. he's super handsome Me too I imagine that he's I imagine he has like dreamy eyes Chiseled <laughs> face uh, You may have seen him He's been on TV He's been on Providence A show that used to be on NBC uh, for a couple of years there. He was on Law and Order, Garfield 1 and 2. He was in The Omen. He's an awesome guy. I'm going to I'm gonna let the cat out of the bag. We are out of the sleeping bag. We already met him. We're recording this. <laughs> we did. This. He is handsome We're, we're recording this after. Yeah. And so he is nice. Yeah, we can confirm to you guys. Yeah. This is this episode is really, truly worth listening to. This, this one at is. At least half of it. At least the half with him in yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's great. Cut us uh, out of it. We're really stoked to be uh, hanging out with Joe Town today. So let's get into the sleeping bag with him. <laughs> Okay, hi, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. We're in this. We're right. so happy you're here, I'm new happy friend. To be here. Look, we're in a space and we're in the same room I instead know. of through a screen. Yeah. I know. It's only been a, but I like you're a very energetic emailer and I appreciate that. There's Thanks. exclamations used. Like, oh, yeah. I feel like you're I can tell you have good email energy and it carries over in person too. Thanks. That's awesome. I'm glad you could feel it through the the typing. Yeah. yeah. And I'm so, also so happy you're here because I was scared that you were going to say no to doing this because you're kind of like not a shit show. Maybe we'll hear differently today. But to yeah. the outside eye, Mr. Sir, I look like a not shit show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And I feel working. like you've got it working. together. Yeah, you seem like you've got it together and you help other people get it together too. Well, I think, you know, shit shows are one of life's greatest teachers. Yes. Yeah. So. Oh. That's a you know, t-shirt somewhere. If we, if we weren't a shit show, we'd make it into a t-shirt. <laughs> Here, my, my gift to you. <laughs> Okay, so I was just going to start. <laughs> okay, so I awkward pause. No, no, no. There's I many. I like that it was so soon. I really yeah. appreciate that. I first want to know, you grew up possibly in an artist commune. Whoa. Can you did you your t- deep dive. I want to know about a little little yeah. Joe growing up like in my thing is it like not swinger style, but I'm also picturing like cult, <laughs> like Kool-Aid was that it culty? Kind of vibe. I mean, that's what I think we think of when we think of communal living, but my grandparents all did communal living. It was just in Brownstones in Brooklyn. Mm. Uh, um That's like fancy. It, totally. I mean, I, I didn't grow up there. My my dad, I think, grew up around the block from where the sort of grandparents all, um, you know, shacked up near each other mm-hmm. so they could be on the same block and it had to do with safety and community and all that. Um, no, I mean, my parents were together for two and a half years and then they didn't make it. So about six months in, we moved in with my grandparents. And I think a year later, my mom met my who would become my stepdad. And he worked in this restaurant and through his community, they became aware of, uh, it was a communal living situation. And what I knew about it, cause I moved in there when I was like two and I was there for maybe two and a half years. Um, and it was basically this big house. It was really hard for one family to rent. They called it a white man, white elephant mansion. Uh, so wow. imagine there's a mansion in on Long Island yeah. on the North Shore. <laughs> and it's got a mile of private beach, beautiful tree out front. And they kept kosher and they were very much like seekers and artists. And there was a mathematician living there. And what? some rooms had one person and some had couples. I don't believe there was swinging, but who knows? Mm-hmm. But there was only one rule of the house, which was it took nine yeses, but only one no. Oh. So rooms would stay empty for longer periods of time. Um, and we moved in together and I met some amazing people, some of whom I'm still in touch with. And they pretended I was their kid. There's built in wow. childcare to be like, we go to the supermarket to give my parents a spell and they'd be like, what a beautiful child. And they'd say, thank you. You know? Wow. So some of those people are still very present in my life. And uh, for me, it was just great. I, 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 there were another, no kids around. So I was just spoken to like an adult from a young age, mm-hmm. which 
had its had its pros and cons because when I ran into people that didn't speak like adults, I didn't know what to do with them. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It really impacted my socialization. Yeah, and wait, who who originally owned that? Like, did all of you chip in for a collective owning of the house, or was, so, was there like one no, person that they were renting? So it was fifteen hundred dollars a month. <laughs> And each room was $75. No. Wow. And so, or 150 bucks, $75 a person. So we were there and then we moved into our own house and it only lasted another year or two. It was demolished and they made 23 condominiums on oh, what was that one that's property. Tragic. Wow. Yeah. Now that version is the hype house, which they have in LA, which <laughs> is like, totally. these kids live in like a $7 million mansion. And I'm sure Amazing. you, yeah. Like, yeah. The influencer mansion. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. the idea of like an artist commune where everyone supports each other sounds so good yeah. in theory. If, if you have a big enough space and like three kitchens and stuff. It sounds mm-hmm. great. But then I also, in the world of creativity, it seems like there's a lot of competition don't you think very competitive it's, artists it's very competitive these these artists yeah. out there you know and so it's like wouldn't that become a problem to That's have all true. these influencers trying to oh in the influencers sorry yeah, yeah. i was thinking back i was like they didn't seem they were, they were, <laughs> no no no, no i just meant like in this hype house or whatever oh, it yeah, seems yeah, like yeah. communal living now in a situation like that would be kind of tough definitely well i just watched on netflix there's a documentary about it and they were basically you get to a certain point and then you want to grow out of it and then everyone in the house hates you or is resentful so right. it almost like crashes and burns okay, people so that's what i felt like yeah yeah, that's yeah. but that didn't happen to you you just <laughs> not you that never i could crashed recall. or burned all i can think oh. of has you ever, have you ever seen the documentary gray gardens oh yeah yeah, yeah. as you're discussing this you're, where you grew up i'm like did you live in gray gardens it was a little less uh cluttery yeah okay Marie Kondo probably was a colleague of theirs yes <laughs> um but i feel like you know I've, I've had moments that felt a little bit more like run down and things like that um and i i, I am seeking sort of a communal ish community again you mm-hmm. are yeah like i i love the idea of thinking outside the box the housing market in yeah. california is crazy garbage so i'm wondering like do we need two gardens do we need like two outdoor play areas like could two families yeah go back to back and create you know two homes on one property or right. get a group of people it, i'm just i'm trying to think outside the box because i think that's what they were doing yeah and I don't need people to live in the same house as me, but mm-hmm. I like the idea of shared resources. Right. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. Bo just had to deal with me having a full on meltdown yesterday. I think the full moon is affecting me because the I just out of the I, wolf moon. The, I, yeah, the wolf moon is like I'm I'm turning into like a a mare wolf or, or something. Are you? But like no no no. I just I I all of a sudden now I'm obsessed with like this thought of of getting a duplex. With my my boyfriend in one home, hopefully, and then then my mom and dad in the other home. Yeah. And I know what you're saying, where it's just like now. I think the pandemic has showed where I'm like I don't need to live next door, but I you do rely on other humans, mm-hmm. and it is nice to have connection. And so I think p- some people are swinging, not in a swinging. Are you gonna swing with your parents? This is getting real weird. <laughs> this is getting real. Weird. She could sell a reality show <laughs> on the heels of that. Probably move some influences. Oh, but boy. I, I know what you're saying about like shared it doesn't need to be a duplex on top of each other but no but family Space and, is fine yeah, and people yeah. helping each other where yeah. so many of my friends with children are like alone on an island basically if they have they're paying so much for child care and yeah. we could really almost like barter and help mm-hmm. each other so mm. do you think would your uh, do you have a wife i do okay yeah would your partner be you sounded, you sounded so weird you're like do you, do you have one? Because I'm not have, sure that the artist coming you guys should have one. Usually, I'm asking while I'm like holding a martini and being like, <laughs> oh, "There you go." Yeah, but like, uh, so would they? Would she be open to that? You know, uh, long pause. Um, she's always fascinated by my idea mm-hmm. and yeah. runs into problems with the logistics. You know, and I think we both have family that are nearby, so it feels communal in that sense. They're far enough away that if we want our privacy, it's great, but they can be over in five minutes. Yeah. So that's good distance for, you know, some yeah. people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it depends on who would be on the property. Like, I have this vision of, like, Italian villas. Mm-hmm. Everyone has their own. Maybe three, <laughs> maybe four. And then, like, a main house with, like, a movie theater, like, with bean bags or, you know, cozy couches or yeah. whatever. And then, like, if you feel like being social, you go cook together. Yeah. And yeah. if you want privacy, you got a mini kitchen in your own place. Yeah. So, who do you want to see on a regular basis? That would yeah. be awesome. That feels, you know, like an important decision. I want that to work, and then I also feel like I live in a, a, a I don't even know. It's like a, it's like a four unit building. Mm-hmm. Okay, and everybody has a two stories. So I don't know what that's called. Like, fourplex. A fourplex, uh-huh. and. I don't know any of my neighbors. 
Mm-hmm. I've been there for like three and a half, four years. It's like, so it's like, I like the idea of this communal thing, but then it's like, I've lived beside people for many years and I've even been like, hey, hi, my name is Bo and I'd love to get to know yeah. you. And they're like, uh huh, mm-hmm, yeah, we're good. And then it's like, yeah. it never happens. Yeah. So it's like, my mind can't even be like, think that this could really exist. I think I you would it. thrive in that. Think how happy you would be if you, if you had friends and you could, could play choose. video games with them. Yeah. yeah. Bo would be like, you, you of all people would love that. Cause I feel like Just, you, you are always like the center of the friend group with like people around and stuff. Get out of here. It's like the cool college friend <laughs> Stop that it. hasn't grown up, but you still love <laughs> <No>. them. <laughs> um, okay. So you said that was in New York, correct? Yeah, in yeah. Brooklyn? On Long Island. Oh, on Long Island. Yeah. Yeah. The grandparents were in, uh. In Brooklyn. I can't say it like that. So <laughs> so when did you move to the West Coast? So I wanted to get as far away from New York as possible to ah, go to school. Okay. And it wasn't because I, it was, you know, I was raised in Long Island. I kind of feared the city. Mm-hmm. But, um, really? I did. You did? So like I, in a, did you think it was like seedy kind of way or? or it was definitely seedy. My dad lived in the city and I would go visit him. Some t- I saw him every other weekend. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes we'd go to the city and we had three things we would do. We'd eat mac and cheese. We'd play <laughs> Monopoly or chess. Maybe go to the park. Mm. Um, the other times that I would visit him, we'd go to my grandparents, and they were in Jersey. But on Long Island, I didn't really have to go to the city, and I think they put the fear of God in me. Mm. Like they were like, "Don't take the train by yourself." Oh mm. yeah. And so it was like a horror movie for a teenager. And I don't know. I had the choice between NYU and USC. Mm-hmm. When I came out here, I visited a relative who lives in Malibu. Oh, wow. So I didn't know where USC was. I was like, oh, I was at my uncle's house, and then I drove through a tunnel. I was at USC. So it's right near the beach. Yeah. I had no idea it was downtown. Yeah. Oh, two weeks before I was coming out here, uh, my theater director for the summer was like, so you're going to school in the hood. I was like, um, what does that mean? He goes, where the riots started? I was like, what riots? He goes, do you not pay attention to the news? Yeah. I had no idea that I would be like hearing gunshots outside and almost carjacked and like, had my bike stolen like all the things that happened when i went to school there but like freshman year i was like yeah sure let's walk four blocks down to the taco bell and pretend we're driving an invisible car and like walk through the (laughs) drive-through you know like i had that sort of fool like innocence about where i was yeah and you know i didn't i didn't know and i I was miserable my freshman year i was like i want to move back to new york but i'm glad i stayed i stayed and then moved back to new york after i graduated and what'd you go to college for originally i wanted to do film and theater So uh, that double major would have been way too overwhelming. So I did theater and I did films. I walked my headshot over to the film office and ended up doing a lot of terrible work really early to get it out of the way, hopefully. (laughs) Uh, Some some archive at USC. But I learned what blocking was. And then I started studying psychology. They had a great psychology department and I was really interested in knowing how that would apply to my craft. Yeah. But uh, I had been in a high school that also had a maybe a college level psychology class and I was really interested in the subject. That's awesome. Yeah, I think so. that's very helpful in in your in your profession. What well, yeah. Well, I mean, in any profession to be honest, but like especially when you're trying to be someone else in a sense, yeah. right? Well, and that was my favorite class was abnormal psych. Oh god. And there was this uh, assignment where they were like pick someone from, you know, fictional history, diagnose them and recommend a cure. Wow. And I was like, that's a cool, that was a fun class. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, I don't know if it worked. I basically was pretty lazy. Uh, I was, You're... instead of learning from textbooks, I was like, hey, I'll borrow from one movie's cure and apply it to something I know. Else. <laughs> I wonder, like, if there is a cure for some of the killers where they just really do have a screw loose. Yeah. You know, like, what's just medication, I guess, would be the only cure. It used to be know. shock therapy, but not right. anymore. Yeah. Or, like, I... or, or uh, lobotomies or, you know, totally. like something like that. Like Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then you studied, not to like, we're going through your resume, which is also really impressive. Is it up there? I, no, no, no. It's in the back. I'm accessing my, <laughs> my frontal lobe. Yeah. It's a teleprompter. The, the, one, the one piece that wasn't taken out of my, <laughs> my own lobotomy. Um, uh, you studied groundlings from like the OG man right, from Gary, yeah. right? The guy that did it. You know what's amazing? I've never been to this part of where we are. Yeah. I don't know if you name that in the yeah, podcast. Oh yeah. yep. But when I was driving over here, um, on the next street over, there's a big theater. Mm-hmm. And that theater is where they hosted his funeral. And so the last time I was within this radius was for Gary Austin's funeral a couple wow. years ago. And he, you know, clearly touched a lot of people's lives. And, and I was just thinking on my way over here as I saw that, I was like, God, everybody there thought that they were the center of his universe. And yeah. so for a period of time, I was really fortunate. He, um, you know, 
took me under his wing. I studied with him in multiple cities. I flew out here to study and take a weekend intensive. I flew to Seattle for the first time, fell in love with that city. And then I became his assistant out here. It's how I paid for classes. Really? Wow, that's and awesome. And he helped me get my first agent, my first car, where the brakes went out. Uh, but, you know, I stayed on his couch. He and his wife and their dogs allowed me to, you know, stay on his couch when I first moved here. Wow. So he was a, a real role model and a great friend. Was your takeaways more that than even like comedy itself well it's interesting because i was obsessed with improv at usc they had an amazing group called comedus interruptus and i would sit there every friday i went for four years and i watched every show that i could i maybe skipped one or two but my friends were all in this show and i was like i can totally not do this i convinced <laughs> yeah. myself i could not do this i think i tried out my senior year and i just felt like i don't know the skills i have the desire yeah and by the time i met gary it was after my mom had passed. And so I was in this stage where I was like saying no to life. Mm. And so Gary was almost like this Zen master where he was teaching me to say yes to life again. Mm. And so he was also through the stage where he was trying to do uh, short form gimmicky laughs. So he would do exercises to warm us up, but he was really interested in long form uh, dramedy, like really where, where comedy has started to go. On television and in films, uh, he was more interested in things that incorporated all the layers of what's true, mm. and he was sort of over the, the the things maybe he did at the committee and early with the Groundlings. Yeah, mm. um, but I I felt like every lesson I was learning from him was good for life. Yes, yeah, it's almost like it it reshapes you. It did, it did, and it really helped guide my thoughts back to a more collaborative way of being. I was kind of isolating, hmm. so it was really helpful. That's awesome. Yeah, maybe we should sign up for. Level three. I'll just I'll go through the back pain because we we really had to like walk around in a circle one time of Amazing. mimicking like how uh, we had to pick just like the murderer. We had to pick one ailment and then like live in that ailment for the whole class. And I remember just mm. there was like a cute boy that was on the same. They were like looking in, and I was like walking around my back. Like I don't know, Shyatica. It's just cute. <laughs> and then uh, yeah, I was gonna say, quickly say too because what then like I know that you've been in some major movies and films and you know acted alongside big names too like has there ever been anything that you really have just been like wow I am out of my element and then like backed out and still to this day you haven't done it I've always been out of my element always I, I like being out of my element I kind of crave it being a little bit out of it too too much out of it is a little overwhelming mm -hmm. um backing out of it I um I don't tend to back out of a lot. I, I'm like the guy who like, ah, I paid 20 bucks for this movie. I guess I'll suffer through the rest <laughs> of it. Uh, uh. Um, I've walked out of very few. Mm -hmm. Let me put it that way. So I don't usually tap out of stuff. There's a few auditions I haven't gone in for, but I've not usually tapped out in the midst. Yeah. I think I have a little bit of stubbornness. I'm a Taurus. Uh -huh. uh, and a little bit of like, hey, my job is to see this through and then I can decide if I ever want to do something like this again. Mm -hmm. mm. Um, but but I like that feeling of being a little bit out of my element. I think that's how we grow. Yeah, for oh. sure. Oh my gosh, see that is you are a true pod. <laughs> you you do because your podcast is called Better, right? Yes. Aww. Yeah, I'm seeking better in all aspects of life, and to me, better is making mistakes, which our culture is allergic to, like uh, failing mm -hmm. and 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 going yes. And what did I learn from that? And how can I recover from that? And what might I do differently next time? And I think that's. What I'm hoping we can help other people, you know, learn to appreciate about it, because I think we're so skittish about making mistakes and failing, yeah. and because we think everyone's watching, and also mm -hmm. we think anybody else cares, and they don't. Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. everyone's just in their own thing. They're they're all worried about their own thing. Yeah. And so it's like when you're like, oh my god, that was so embarrassing. It's like nobody cares. <laughs> it, it, they, they don't give a fuck about you. They're too worried about their own shit. Yeah. And they're just glad it wasn't them, but then they're moving on, and that's right. it. Right. Uh, you're right, though. I mean me and my business partner always talk about uh, failing harder and it's not a new concept, but it's just like, if you're going to go for it, don't, don't half ass anything, just go for it, go for it real hard. And so when it fails, you're going to learn some major points Yeah. because it, if, if you just kind of succeed always, what are you fucking learning? Mm -hmm. You're not really learning much. Mm -hmm. You're just like, cool, that worked great. Move on. But when you really truly fail and you're sitting there in your own pile of shit and you're just like, Oh my God, <laughs> what's, yeah. what's happened? to my life yeah then you kind of have to address that in a major way and tear away some of those layers that's when you grow the most something crazy happens but i think maybe part of the reason why we think everyone's thinking about us is at some point growing up we might have been publicly shamed mm -hmm. for a mistake for sure you know like there are 
there are people that are cruel. And so the first time you made a mistake and paid an emotional price for it instead of it being embraced and welcomed, like maybe the new generation of how we are as classmates and some of the teachers who actually are aware of things like that. Right. Um, maybe that makes a difference. But growth mindset was not around. It was no. like coming out of the tough love yeah. and, uh, you know, maybe hyperbolically praising people. Mm. Like, this is the most beautiful picture I've ever seen. Yeah. Pers- participation uh, trophies for yeah. everybody. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was definitely the 90s and 2000, early 2000s, mm-hmm. for sure. Well, maybe not in the 90s as much, but it was changing then. Yeah. What, what, I guess, when were you in elementary school in that time? Yeah, like so 80s probably or? 80 to oh. 80, you know, I, I was born in 75. Oh, me too. Same yeah. age. Okay, yeah, yeah. cool. Oh my God, you guys both look so young. And you look like oh you. God. <laughs> Moisturize. And I always think too, there's like, in terms of getting better, it's like a choose your own adventure where I'm like, okay, maybe today I got better because I didn't spend so much money or maybe today mm. I got better because I connected with more people. So I always try to think, okay, how does it swing in my favor? But, yeah, but, that's cool. Or You're like, an optimist. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Come, oh, you somewhere. are, you are, you are. Okay, I, I am optimistically agreeing with you. How come you said you're right? We'll talk about it later. (laughs) Well, but the shit show part of me did, like the other day, I had, because, you know, I work remotely and so I write and so I think sometimes it's portrayed in a way of people sitting by the beach and like the sunset and I'm people are like at their computers but instead I just had a day where I didn't plan my day I was eating really crappy and then I ended up just like working at like a Denny's all day in Culver City and I was just like I was just like I'm I'm on the wrong track today I'm just having a day and then I kind of instead of feeling bad because I definitely felt bad I tried to in my mind almost like redo the day in my mind where Mm. I'm like okay I would wake up and I would continue juicing and then I would find a place with wi-fi and then I would Mm. like you know I kind of in my mind was like don't beat yourself up over it but like let's tomorrow let's like begin that so that really helped me because i was so upset i was just like spending money eating mozzarella sticks at denny's and i'm like i'm so far off what i want to be doing right now that i was like (laughs) how cool you caught it in the midst of the day yeah like can we start over in the middle of the day yeah exactly because it's like yeah like thinking of your day of little blocks of like at nighttime Uh what can i do to bring it back and i did but yeah because some people can't and don't try that and then it ends up a day becomes a week becomes a month becomes Mm -hmm. i've not been happy for 10 years yeah that's kind of wild in that way but i can feel i was very upset as i dipped my mozzarella sticks into gravy (laughs) and washed it down gravy well that's a weird pairing i got two different or are you saying that you're speaking like an italian you're calling them the the marinara gravy gravy. gravy. no no no, it it might be uh poutine oh that's that's true poutine yeah that's true that's true (laughs) okay so give us some tea who have you worked with? I know people like to hear this too. The celebrity, like, who have you worked with that you really liked? Like anyone that? Gosh, we have a lot of people that like watch the View and stuff with our uh, <laughs> with our audience, so they like to hear this kind of stuff too. I mean, I feel really fortunate. I, I, there's a lot of people that I've enjoyed working with at different times. I, I, my first on screen kiss was uh, my second show out here mm. with a woman named Melina Kanakaritis, and it was on a show called Providence. Okay. Oh, I, I remember that show. Yeah. It was was like, it on CBS or? Yeah, NBC. I NBC. Think. Yeah. Okay. Her name even just sounds hot. I was going to oh get it. Oh, my God. She's exotically get it. Greek. Yeah. Oh, Wait, where does it begin and end? What's her name? It's like. Melina Kanakaridis. Oh, ah. yeah. She's gorgeous. Yeah. I could just tell. Yeah. And she was so kind. And, and you know, this was, this was my first professional gig on screen kiss the episode was called the kiss she was having this dream about this young boy who climbed a vine like <laughs> you know a shakespearean romeo and juliet uh, type yeah. thing and then she meets my character who's separated from family been living in an attic has a weird russian accent and like has a brain thing going on and so she kind of falls in love with them in this moment and they share this kiss and so i just remember her being so kind through that whole eight days eight and days on the day that we had to you know kiss in front of 50 extras she told me this story about jimmy smith's and her first kiss uh-huh. kind of put me at ease and then i i, I was i would uh, i've had experiences where i've had like a stage kiss and I was to- I was sort of ridiculed by my partner. She's like, "You're a terrible kisser," be- and I was like, "I'm I'm trying to not kiss you." And she's like, "Don't yeah. try to not kiss me. Try to really kiss me." So I have this in the back of my mind, and so I don't know. I felt like this antisocial guy would sort of just follow his impulses, and uh, she's like, "Close your mouth," and I'm like, "I don't think you." I, I don't. And she's like, "Keep close your mouth," and I wasn't like trying to like put <laughs> tongue in her yeah, mouth, yeah. but I was not <laughs> closing my mouth like a like a closed lip kiss of your aunt yeah uh, i had a different image of what this moment was between them and i think she was it's a wholesome show and maybe she was oh. taking it like hey we shouldn't we should do a closed lip 
press of the lips. Yeah. And so anyway, we did it. Fi- I finally, I was like, I'm going to do it your way. Oh my gosh. I just pictured a director like less tongue. Please. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's the part of like any kind of like, you know, filmed romantic something. There's people kissing or people in bed and the yeah. sexual situations. And it's like, you don't realize all that camera and, mm-hmm. and all the extras behind and all the work. And you're like, I have to do this and make it feel intimate <laughs> yeah. in front of all these people. That's why. And now they have these coordinators to make work help people work through those things Ah. like where's my knee and like how does it look authentic and real and somebody watching out for that but also has language to help us feel comfortable yeah and so none of the you know stuff that's gone on in the 90s yeah uh oh just put your dick in or actually do it like i don't know why that guy's from (laughs) but close your lips jersey yeah yeah, yeah. jersey (laughs) (laughs) the white elephant yeah Oh my gosh! So that's good. so. The, then I know I I know me and I would like end up having a crush on every single person I like on screen kiss. And then is that, they, is they, that hard not to do? Is like fall in love with or, or fall a little bit in love with yes. the people that you you work with? And I actually think it's part of the deal. But I had a teacher in New York who said it's intimate but not personal. Hmm. So she was like, fall in love with your like absolutely fall in love. Just don't bring it home. Don't try to have the relationship in real life. Right. And I think that's what happens is we experience real emotions, right. and then we don't know what to do with them. So people end up developing new relationships and sneaking around oh, and sure. doing all these things. So I've definitely fallen in love with castmates. Yeah. And I, I I feel like it's my job to do that, but also to put it, compartmentalize it ah. a little bit. Yeah. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit more about that because that's a very interesting idea because I think that is something that uh, society does poorly, right? Mm-hmm. Like we, we have feelings for another person. And then somehow, you know, you meet someone, your partner, you're with them. And then suddenly you're supposed to say, like, now nobody else exists. And I don't have those feelings that I've been trained to have my entire life. And then you have all this, like, cheating and running around and shit like that. Uh, How do how do you do that? Mm -hmm. Like like you're saying, like, oh, just compartmentalize it. But like, is that a struggle in your relationship? Like, how long have you been married? Ten years. Okay, so and you've been acted in that time. You yeah, did yeah. this kiss in that time, maybe even. Mm, that was before. Okay, then. a little yeah, before. Yeah. Um, but you've acted and you've yeah. kissed and you've... she made out with Fabio while we were together. Like really? she was on an episode of The Sweet Life on Deck, and they did this romantic thing. And really, you know, <laughs> I'm sitting there watching because she was an actress when we met. Now sure. she's a writer. But um, yeah, she I mean, she made out with know. Fabio. Oh yeah, it was... wait, was The Sweet Life a reality show? It was no, it was like a Disney Channel show. She had been on Passions and done like the oh. soap oh, stuff. Really? That's awesome. But then she was in this uh episode where like the teacher of the zach and cody from the sweet life of zach and cody oh yeah yeah go on a world trip on a ship around the world she plays their teacher so she's having this like fantasy sequence about a romantic novel that she's reading and falls and falls asleep in the lounge chair (laughs) and wakes up in a romantic comedy with fabio yeah yeah. i love that both of you guys have been in someone's dream like you have to kiss the other person because it's a dream dream. i feel like fabio has kissed like thousands thousands of women if i had to guess either thousands or like two or at least let them brush his hair (laughs) (laughs) he's too much peck for me i don't like men like that too much peck i i feel like most women don't yes oh definitely Okay. Definitely, him and Arnold. So I guess, oh, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So I guess I'm just asking. So she fell like, in love hmm. with Fabio. Yeah. So you have this relationship. Is, yeah. is it ever a strain on your relationship? And like, how do you how do you do that? Because I think a lot of people would have that same question. Is like, how do you decide? You can't just say like, well, that's my job. I mean, yeah. it's more than that, right? Well, to a degree, what's been helpful is we've both been in that situation, so we know how to navigate it. Gotcha. Another part is uh, communication. Like, if she was off doing private rehearsals many nights for a you know a public thing and like not saying what it was about that would be kind of weird yeah so i think communication is going to be a huge part of it yeah and then i think you know um putting ourselves in the other person's shoes we know what a job is but uh as, as far as the actual feelings that you have i know some people bring that home with them like they might flirt with a barista yeah but it may not go home with the barista they might just like come home and be like hey yeah, you know, so sometimes, yeah, sometimes it's too much. But yeah, yeah, yeah. That fantasy might come in. Absolutely, yeah. And other times, it might spark a conversation. Yeah. And for some people, you know, <laughs> like, they like, open it up and be like, "Let's call the barista." Yeah, yeah. I was just gonna say was, that like, was my joke. Is gonna be like, "Hey, you ever want to fuck that barista that I go see all the time?" <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, definitely, <laughs> honey. I've been thinking. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. Um, so, so you've been a lot of stuff. I mean, a lot of projects. Um, is there one that stands out as your favorite where you were just mm. like, man, this was a, what a great opportunity and feeling I had. I loved the character. Or I, you know, yeah. I mean, I was thinking about that through the lens of a shit show. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And 
and also the lessons that sort of came. But um, in 2014, I was trying to put my life back together acting wise. I was trying to rebuild some momentum. Okay. There was a period of time where I had to step away to take care of a family member who was sick. And so I came back and I think part of that was I have to create my own stuff now. I have to say yes to more things. And there was this project that I was invited to do off tape that was in Pakistan. Oh, wow. So I was basically like given a short window of time to say yes to this project. And I realized I knew nothing about Pakistan. I've been to India. Yeah. I've, I've, I know um, a little bit about the history and about the false border that was put up where they separated actual families by what the Brits oh, did to, you know, in, uh, in eastern Pakistan and northwest India. But I'd never been. I, I don't think I could have picked out what the flag was. I couldn't have said something cultural about it. I sort of knew from homeland what yeah. we perceive of as a country of Pakistan. Right. So anyway, I'm a little bit nervous. I call a cousin who works in the, you know, in the State Department and he's like, I recommend that you don't go to Pakistan. Is it a good role? And I was like, it is a good role. And he's like, well, here's how I go to Pakistan. And he sort of walked me through it. And he's like, so I recommend you don't go to Pakistan. So a week later, I'm on the plane to Pakistan. <laughs> and like we get picked up at the airport. And um, the woman who's picking me up as the producer, her, her father used to be the prime minister. He was the prime minister twice. And so I kind of felt a little safe. Yeah. And right. they were like, yeah. we have security on set. And so we're driving out of the airport and I just got a bag and we're saying hi and let's like get our meet cute and we're in the back of this cab. And all of a sudden, like a guy comes running up to the car and jumps in with a semi-automatic rifle. <gasps> and she's like, oh, it's okay. He's with us. <laughs> and then we take off. He's not allowed into the airport. So he's waiting for us at the border as we drive off. He's protecting you. So then I go to this hotel where like metal gates are coming up and it's like through this security thing. And I, you know, go into the hotel. And the first night I go to set to see what's going on and meet the director, they're like, oh, yeah, there's our security people. And the guys look like 14 and 16. And I was like, oh my God, like wh this is interesting. Mm -hmm. But I discovered so much. I discovered that, you know, artists are artists wherever you go. There were a ton of women on the project. Most of them were not covering their face. Mm -hmm. We were dancing to Michael Jackson in the <laughs> middle of the night and like taking selfies. And I loved the people that I met. It was a pretty remarkable experience. But one night, because it was night shoots, it was the middle of summer. It was like 120 degrees oh. and humid in Karachi, Pakistan, which is on the water. And so to stay up, I drank some coffee. They like said, you want some coffee? They make me <laughs> some coffee. But I guess they didn't boil it quite enough. And so, like, a couple hours later, I was like, I don't feel, bleh, like, all over the floor oh, of this ancient, oh, no. I don't know what kind of building we're in. It's the set that they're working in for a couple days. And so they end up, it happens a couple more times, and I go back to my hotel room. The next day, they bring over a doctor. I think I slept two hours because I was running back and forth to the bathroom. Sure. And, you know, they gave me some medicine and, and some yogurt and some bananas and, you know, the yeah. rice stuff. And then they expected me to come back to set that night. So they picked me up for another night shoot and I had to rally and go and do my job. Wow. And what was fascinating was I asked a question of the director who was really picking up some pieces of this movie. They had shot, I guess, a piece of it a year earlier with another oh, director. Oh. And then it turns out he had like multiple passports and so they kicked him out of the country. So they hired this young, upcoming, really brilliant, independent filmmaker to finish the movie. And he's like writing new storylines and that's where my character came in. It's woven through the whole thing. And so I asked a question and I was like, it feels like my character is straddling two worlds. Is it more that he's this or is this a hanger on from an old draft? He goes, I'm so glad you said that. Will you help me rewrite the movie? Uh <laughs> so the next day I sat down with his assistant director and spent six hours rewriting pages we were going to shoot that night. Went and shot all night, came home, slept for seven hours, How and did, did it again. How did you memorize it again? Do you just like... We got new pages on set. We Holy had to memorize fuck. and go. Oh Holy fuck. Now, I wasn't That's trying crazy. to like change the direction of the story, mm -hmm. but we were crafting and sort of reshaping the dialogue. And I was eventually brought on as a producer. And this one night, we were in this location that was, I guess it was like a Catholic church in the middle of Pakistan, which is not the predominant religion. And we were there for two nights. The first night, I'm like falling asleep. We're, it's very late. And um, I was like, God, it's taking quite a while. And we had these like dance parties to try to give us energy in between <laughs> yeah. long setups. And so the next night when we came back, we had eight and three quarters pages, which is a lot of pages to shoot in one night. And they're going to lose the location. So at about five hours in, I look at how much is remaining and I'm in all three scenes. And I said to the director, is it possible to light both rooms 
and set up a track you can follow me and can I do all three scenes back to back with a pause in between so they huddled up they figured it out took them many hours to light it and just before the sun is about to come up we're doing the all three scenes back to back wow and it was an amazing it felt like being on a you know a tv soundstage or it felt like doing a play i was picturing the live play when they like turn around and now they're in the bedroom and then they're like yes. what will i do and now they're a dance or something and the or... camera's just following you yeah and it felt so rewarding and it was so collaborative and their whole team rallied to do it that's awesome and you know the the movie um, the last night I'd, I'd wrapped they, they wanted to extend and have me be part of this big finale and rewrite the ending and I was like I have to get back and um, the last night I went to say goodbye to him and he's like I'm so tired I'm laying down for a nap will you help me rewrite the scene that has to shoot tonight I don't even know the actor and I'm like writing the scene he's like will you also write the finale where the guy has this big and I, so I write another scene and then I did a taxi to the airport I almost don't get on the plane because something happened in security I'm getting eyeballed by people who are like clearly like you don't you're you're not from around here. Mm-hmm. Right. And then two weeks to the day, the part of the airport we were filming on, because we came back to the airport to film the scene with a private plane, um, was blown up by the Pakistani Taliban. And then that journalist was beheaded. And so all of a sudden we're like my wife was like, You're not going to the premiere. Oh like I didn't gosh. realize how unsafe sure. it yeah. might have been. They were using real guns on set with blanks, but that's not what that's, we would normally yeah, do here. Yeah. They had real rubies because they were like, we want it to look authentic. I'm like, the, when I trace back what we actually were doing <laughs> yeah, there, yeah. it was intense. Whoa. And it ended up on Netflix and it was a spy thriller and pretty exciting. I, I, I saw photos of my face. Uh, on this like airport step and repeat like one of five faces and this guy who's like as tall as my head and I was like oh this is a real thing he's like yeah you've been nominated for an award I was like what he goes yeah they don't have best villain they have best actor in a negative role you've been nominated in two different and I was like best actor in a negative role <laughs> so I'm like huge in uh, one city uh, in oh and wait what's it called you said- it's called operation 021 okay. like 02 like 021 Hundred hours. Okay, good. I hope you get writing credit on it too. I do. I got a producer credit and a writing credit, and they, you know, I was able to help note the final piece, and they did such an incredible job. And it's so hard to build a bridge between two worlds, two cultures, two worldviews. And I think they did such an incredible job. Yeah. And I was wow. going to ask the women on it, were they, were some of them Pakistani women? or Some or were. And, and Most they were, were. That surprises me. I wonder how the culture is now, even if it's gone back even he, more. So the director had actually gone to school in Pasadena. Mm-hmm. He came over wow. to film school here. One of the young crew members came over and went to AFI while I was here. And we met up a couple years ago when she was training. Um, and then some, I think, were from Dubai and, you know, nearby. Okay. Wow. Dang. I, I had a... I had a similar situation happen to me with, like you said, the, they didn't boil the water enough. Yeah. And so you got some sort of parasite or something. <laughs> yes. right? I was in Beirut, Lebanon, and I was there for work. And the first day, you know, everyone's like, well, obviously don't drink the water. And I was like, of course, I, I understand, you know. But then we go to dinner. I'm like, I'm just going to be safe and just order a salad. Like salad. an idiot. Oh, no. Like an yeah. idiot. Right? Oh, no. And a salad is 90% water. Yeah, that's, just like, that's yeah. what always gets people. Yep. And I ate it and I was sick for 15 days. Holy cow. I was, it was just pure fire. Just pure fire shitting like 17 times a day. And didn't you have to fly somewhere else after? Yeah. You had like Went somewhere else. After. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, that's and the I, worst. My stomach was still like rattled oh. up in Japan. Yeah. Anyway, I just thought yeah, that's people funny. don't think about lettuce, but that's yeah. true. Lettuce and then like you thought like, oh, this is hot water that's probably yeah. been boiled. And of course, and you have a sip and the next thing you know, you're just. Oh yeah. My God. Yeah. It, it'll fuck you up. It, it, it's bad. <laughs> That's why I get mozzarella sticks with gravy. It's always, there's no water in gravy. So it's funny. My character was very pro-American. Mm. And so from that point on, I have this weird thing where I like eat the foods of my character. Oh, oh, that's, that's it, great. Because like, I can't like be like a cowboy or something and eat a salad. Yeah. yeah. So like, it's a weird quirk. So uh, I, I was like eating mall food, like chicken sandwiches <laughs> and fries from then on with soda. Like, oh, I don't man. eat that all the time. Yeah. Not yeah, that I yeah. never eat it, yeah, but yeah, like yeah. I ate it for every meal after that. Wow. And so I was like very like, just embrace it. Go with it. I think it, it oh, starts man. to seep in and infect, uh, affect your like mentality too. Because I've had, totally. yeah, like weeks, years that I eat badly. I just read, I'm sure it's a famous article now, but uh, on that new movie, uh, what is it? The, what is it? The Power of... Power of Dog? Yeah, The Power of Dog. Yeah, with Cumberbatch. Mm. And how he's like, he wouldn't even... He stayed in character. Everyone was supposed to stay in character throughout the entire time. Oh, really? And that like, it was kind of 
weird at times where it's like, why is Cumberbatch being so mean to everybody? Yeah. But it's like he had to do it in order to. But do to, we like I, I? Okay, good. I That's appreciate good Jeremy Strong. Like, there's been this like controversy around the actor from Succession, Jeremy Strong. Yeah. Who has been like a fan of Daniel Day Lewis and a bunch of method actors for a sure. long time. But they wrote this like hit piece on him where they were trying to like make him out to be. Like a uh, terrible human. Oh. And really, he just has a philosophy of, I, I need to live in this world. And yeah. there are other people who are like, my dear boy, just try acting. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it's like the same thing Dustin Hoffman talked to Olivier about. Yeah. And so I don't know. When it comes to treating the crew in a certain way, like, do you have to stay in it? Yeah. Or are there waves you can ride? And then can you, like, come back to your family and be a person? Yeah. For Daniel yeah. Lewis, he, like, comes back to himself months or years after the role's done. Yeah, and for other people, like Meryl Streep's pretty darn good. I feel like she laughs in between takes. Yeah, you yeah. Know what I mean, she can do the Devil Wears Prada, and, yes. and then she's like a nice human in the. I or, right. or, so. I mean, or maybe not. Yeah. She doesn't need to be. Yeah. No, I, she does seem like a nice person. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe she's done a really good job of acting in life, but <laughs> maybe. Um, yeah, there are these people that you, you read stories like Jared Leto, and and, oh, and people God, are just yeah. like go to such an extreme where you're like, ooh, I think I'd want to stay out of this person's way. Mm-hmm. Like they just seem like they're not uh, hinged. You know, on Providence, the role that I was playing was this guy who this Russian kid who was locked in an attic and he was starting to forget what his parents looked like. Mm. And I had lost my mom. And uh, a lot of the stuff felt like I was actually channeling what was really going on with me. I had to sob and cry and I didn't really have a technique to do that. Uh So I was trying to use my own stuff I called my stepdad I was like tell me about mom and he's like making me laugh and I was like this isn't helping so I'm like trying to do push-ups I'm trying to do everything to try to get into this zone and what was amazing is uh, Melanie Mayron from 30 something was the director of that episode very actor friendly director and once I got going she just rearranged their schedule and they did all of my coverage first. They pushed in, the crew was silent, they like let me just stay in that spot. And That's so in awesome. that case, I was using my own stuff, but I wasn't like a dick to the crew in between. Yeah, yeah. and you're not gonna stay yeah. that way for like four weeks after. No, or... no. I kind it, of like how you were saying where it's almost like, um, it's almost like a, a better skill to be able to go in and out of it where I like how you said some of the actors were like just act and that's mm-hmm. that's almost like a little bit like it kind of uh, it's like the antidote to like pretentiousness you know to, to stay in mm. the character it's almost like oh like you have to stay like that it's actually a higher skill to go in and out of it and and yet like I appreciate the artists who do it it's just maybe they mistreat people and I, I'm seeking to not do that but I appreciate their work that they're mm-hmm. doing I think he's great in succession Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Hmm. I like snootiness. So I just like I like the thought of someone like, oh God, you have to like stay like that. Andy Kaufman, okay. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> you know, whatever. Um, okay, really quick, I want to do a quick bug bite. Yuck! Bug bite. I want to hear something that you're uh, what a negative character on or best performance. Yeah, for. yeah best performance of a negative character. <laughs> yeah. So tell uh, us something that really you hate or that gets like under your skin. Oh, where do I start? Oh, good. Um, we love a hateful person. I would person. say one of the things, um, one of the things that comes to mind is when you give a gift to somebody, and instead of saying thank you, they say you didn't have to do that. Oh. <laughs> Yes. I know I didn't have to do that, but I wanted to, and I spent a lot of time yes. thinking about this and shopping for it and wrapping it and excited to come and give you, and that doesn't feel like a thank you. So Did that just happen in Christmas? That. This feels fresh. Oh, let's not go there. Uh. No. Uh, it happens often. And, really? And, and I'm, I'm, I, it's like the toxic mimic of something that's nourishing. So yeah. I don't like toxic mimics. Like, that's not totally true. When I was 13, I loved nerds. Uh, and I love like the, the Willy Wonka fruit that was like a banana and an yeah, apple and that yeah. weird shit. Um, but that wasn't really fruit. But I, I don't like toxic mimics of the things that we really need, the nourishing things that we really need. And I think that I would so much rather somebody uh, just say thank you and th- leave it at that. Yeah. If they don't like it, just say thank you. If you are feeling overwhelmed with emotion, just say thank you. You can process your own stuff later. But now I feel weird for this thing that I offer. Yes, yes, you didn't have to is like a, a passive rejection yes. and that's probably what they're not meaning but totally. then it's like it's back and forth. That happens a lot. That happens a lot. Mm-hmm. You're right. We just need to be taught because I feel like 90% of people probably don't mean that. They just don't know what no. else to say. I or... need to work on that because I know 
I get really embarrassed when people do nice things for me. Mm-hmm. I do. And so, or, or, or even when someone gives me a compliment, I'm just like, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I should just be like, oh, that's Thank very you. nice of you. Thank you. But, but instead I'm just like, script. yeah, <laughs> that's why for Christmas we clearly define. I say, I expect a gift that's worth $40. Yeah. And, and I say, well, I got this on sale. <laughs> saying, you, don't, you don't have to. <laughs> it was $40 once, but <laughs> yeah, no, that's, and then it makes it almost devalues uh, the like meaningfulness of of you thinking about someone, yeah, it, that is a lot. Yeah, of... in terms of love languages, like yeah. if my love language is to do an act of service or buy a gift, mm-hmm. then I feel like I'm robbed of my love language, uh, in, which yeah. is the energy exchange. Like you don't have to give a gift back. Maybe it's just those words. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one of my receiving love languages is words of affirmation. Mm. So anyway, went to like the five love languages for a second. Oh my gosh, but, that's know. good. Yeah. I just thought my love language is being left alone when I eat. That's like, <laughs> I try, my boyfriend like crowds around me when I eat or in the fridge. And then like, I just want to be left alone like a It'd frail space. To eat. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like yeah. eating alone, just like a, a for real, like a person left alone is my- Your like, love language. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. I would say I, I'm, that's, I'm very similar. Really? I, I, the older I get, the more I love, I just really enjoy alone time. Yeah. And I struggle with that moment. There are times when I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't have anything to do tonight. And that's awesome. Like I get kind of excited yeah. and then I'm like, oh, you know what? I should call this person or I should, I should make an effort to do this or that. And I'm like, no, I'm just going to sit here. I'm going to make mm. myself a cocktail yeah. and just sit here and do my thing how I want to do it. Yeah. I think I, that, I think that brings joy. I also like that you're stopping a practice of shooting on yourself. Yeah. Because I think yeah. we can do that. Yeah. For and sure. it doesn't feel great. Yeah. Um, I know this is, this is difficult. We were talking about things that we don't like. Uh, I wanted to ask you this. You don't. I don't. You don't need to say any names. But have you <laughs> been on a set with someone that you really thought was great, and then realized that maybe you wish you hadn't met them, mm. or even not on set? Have you met any of your heroes, and it was just like, ah, fuck? Because you seem like the kind of guy that totally tries to be an authentic version of himself in every situation. Like Aww, you try to be you this nice. You don't have to say that. Obviously you're talking about like, you know, trying to understand psychology. You've got this podcast and you're also really, uh, you, you put on a, I guess not a pedestal, but mm. this idea that you like directors who really understand the actor. Yeah. You know, totally. And treat them well. I know that I have, I don't have any particular, an immediate story that's coming to mind. But what, what I will say is I've definitely been around people that I think are funny and I want to be funny with them. Mm. And then I get around them and it's, there's no oxygen. So it's like, they don't ever switch off. Uh They make you sort of the butt of the joke instead of you being in it with them. Uh And I think that pushes all my buttons from being sort of outcast as a young person. Sure. So you know, I, I definitely look up to people that are funny, and if I don't feel like they want to play, then yeah. I'm disappointed. You know, running a comedy show—that is one of the main things that I've learned. Is like, in the beginning, I thought I would be surrounding myself with comedians, and that I would end up wanting to be become, become a comedian. Mm-hmm. I'm very interested in it, uh, in improv and comedy stand-up. Uh, and then I got in it, and I realized, like, oh man, everybody's just doing a bit. They're all just mm-hmm. doing a bit. Mm-hmm. They're trying to be, it's like so competitive yeah. and crazy mm-hmm. yeah. and everyone's so insecure and you're like, this is gross. And I realized like, this sounds cocky. It's not meant to, but I was like, I can't be a comedian because I'm too put together. Mm-hmm. Like I don't have enough chaos going on in my <laughs> life to make this work because every comedian I know is kind of like just wildly like insane in some way. You have to be to get up there on stage and do that i think we're all managing stuff and stress and i would imagine that there's a lot of insecurity Mm -hmm. and so i'm switched on because that's my oxygen my validation and if i slow down too much maybe i won't be funny i won't know who i am yeah and i just value i loved reading up on and learning about johnny carson i felt like he was such a great host yeah and he was so great at centering the guest and not making it about him yeah and i think as a result People got to shine and he had moments where he was hilarious in response. Yeah. And I really appreciate that about him. And I've met directors and writers who are confident enough in themselves that they allow others to be funny. They they bring it out in them. Yeah. And it doesn't threaten their own identity. Yeah. And I think it's really hard that we who get paid to be insecure in front of people. Yeah. Don't necessarily have skills on how to manage that. 
Yeah. You know, but that doesn't sound any different to me than the person who can't switch it off on set and is method acting. Sure. This is method comedy. Sure. Yeah. I feel the same way. I tend to gravitate towards having comedian friends who also we can go out to like Thai food and then no one's doing bits for like 30 minutes uh-huh. or, you know, we're just talking about almost boring stuff. I yeah. Think that yeah. Kind of, yeah. Which I think maybe they do in writer's rooms too. Mm-hmm. Some you have to be on all the time and other times they're like, hey, tell me about your weekend. Yeah. Let's find the gold in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. That's, I think it's a hard... I think that is I, being in enough writers' rooms or and being in, around enough community. I think that is something that a lot of people struggle with. Mm-hmm. But that's awesome that you have been able to do that. Thanks. Now yeah. I'm letting there be space. I don't have to be funny every minute because I do. I don't know my own identity. <laughs> Who am I? <laughs> I'm broken. Oh, wait, before we go, don't do that yet. Hold on. Do what? I, I didn't know. do don't anything. Don't do anything yet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Why are you projecting on me? Go, go ahead. Go ahead. Because I'm really excited because I know that you're also from my light stocking like a, a feng shui consultant or you know you dabble in the feng shui world yeah and i want you to give everyone a tip on how to be like how to make our homes maybe like less of a shit show like one tip for- just just to let our listeners know we are currently in a room where there are like a thousand chairs scattered everywhere it's cluttered with books it feels chaotic but as I, fuck. I feel calm it's, here it's driving me really? crazy. oh uh, yeah, yeah. I, i'm hard virgo and so like i uh, I, I think i this is not my place oh but my god i feel good i, I feel really good i hate here. those coffee shops where none of the furniture matches and everything's like at different heights and oh yeah and there's like a chessboard. But yeah also like all a, the couches have like a weird stain on them and it's like somebody's got a you in are, an alleyway you're definitely a virgo yeah, yeah oh god so you're gonna yeah. have to like give recommendations for like all different so, types. so how deep do you go into this feng shui yeah so uh it's interesting. I, I sort of grew up, I would say, sensitive to environments. The mommy and daddy fighting in a room. Oh, yeah. Or does the home feel good? I didn't have any sense of the design or the thoughts behind how to make it so. But um, when I moved to California, you get exposed to a lot of stuff in California. Yeah. And uh, some of my old roots of like Tai Chi or meditation or things like that, I became interested in them. And after I lost my mom, I was really interested in um, understanding my relationship to the invisible. Because now she's not in a body. And so if I want to connect to her, I have to either use my imagination or maybe there's like the force in Star Wars and she's a glowing blue person. Like Mm. I wanted to connect with that. And I had uh, moved into a place uh, that I thought I manifested. (laughs) And I had made this list of like six things, you know. Um, I really, I don't like air conditioning. So like one of the things was like a breeze that comes to the apartment. Uh, uh. Um, I wanted to have my own space. I loved underground parking. I was like laundry in the unit would be nice. So I get this phone call from somebody I barely know. And I end up moving into this situation a month later and it's everything I asked for. And when she called me, she told me the budget. I was like, actually, I was looking to try to only spend this. (laughs) Anyway, we worked it out. I moved in (laughs) day one. They're like, let's go to, uh, you know, I think it was house of blues. And I was like, we're having a party. So like triple Jack and Coke, like, let's go. Like, you know, we're having this great time. And then like the next day they're like, Hey, we're going out. And I was like, uh, we just did that. And they're like, yeah, we're, we're doing it again. And so I was like, Oh, okay. Uh, I'm going to tap out for tonight. I'm auditioning in the morning. And, uh, I think like multiple weeks of that. And then the party came home and oh. then like drugs were happening in the bathroom and then like some other crazy events that I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about yeah. on here, but like <laughs> police were called. Oh, damn. Oh. Um, and I was like, oh my God, I did this. I asked for this place. Uh, yeah. Whoa. I, a, I have the power. I've got the power. <laughs> Two, I am scared of that power. Yeah. And so I told this chiropractor that I was going to, and she's like, I think it's time to call the feng shui master. And so I was like, what is feng shui? So she had given me these suggestions about little things I could do in my space, but she never told me it was called that. And so I started down this journey where like I had this feng shui master sit on my floor and I was there to try to help my acting career and I did all the stuff that he recommended and like crazy stuff. Like the moment I slid my black TV stand into the area where the color black is auspicious with a TV, my pager went off and I was called by a commercial agency that wanted to sign me. I was like, that just... I just finished sliding it into that area um crazy like found a lost bank account from when i was five and my parents got divorced that had been accruing interest for 24 years like crazy stuff happened to me so my friends are all like what's going on with you and i was like i uh i feng shui my apartment they're like what i'm like i feng shui my apartment and i thought they were gonna think i joined a cult and so i drew on a napkin and i recommended a book and then they were like something happened for me and so for two years everyone was like something happened for me and i was like Maybe I'll do this instead of catering. 
So yeah, yeah. 2001, 9-11 happens. There's no auditions happening. I decided to give away one session of life coaching and one session of feng shui to wherever it showed up. And uh, it became a word of mouth business that I did for almost two decades. I wrote a book. I was wow. You did write a book. Really, I was yeah. gonna say, how can? What's the best way to learn? I mean, what is that book? Well, I recommend other people's books okay. all the time to learn about how to apply it to your space. Mm-hmm. But I wrote a book about inner feng shui, like about the same principles, but how do you organize your thoughts around relationships, or apply it to prosperity, or your career, or health? Yeah, that's great. And, and you know, I think that a lot of them are historical and don't just come from the Chinese culture. For mm. example. I'm sitting right now in a spot that would be like where the godfather would sit in a restaurant, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Because yeah. my back's not to the door. Correct. And so scientifically, it makes sense. Like if you sit with your back to the door, you don't know what's happening behind you. And it activates that fight or flight. Yeah. Now, somebody might come and pop a cap in your noodle. <laughs> or somebody might just startle you or like you might jump. And so if we sit with our desk there all the time in a cubicle... It might affect our health. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so it might affect how we feel. And there's good science if you really look deep enough into it. So I started to like where all the cultures crossed over, like putting stuff near a doorway. You can have a mezuzah. You can paint the door red. You can put food dogs or lions. Like you can put beware of dog, like guardians of the mouth of your home uh-huh. or your office. You know, you go to a, a, a Chinese restaurant, maybe there's a fish tank. Yeah. You know, the idea is to move energy into the space. Okay. So like, what does it hurt me to put a set of chimes out here or, you know, try to try to bring some good energy in? Yeah. So anyway, I, I went deep. So if you have real, any sort of feng shui questions, I'm happy to answer them. Okay. I but love like, it. Yeah, Cause yeah. I feel like now even technological feng shui where it's like, it's, it, I'm, I'm a freak about like, um, deleting my text and deleting my inbox and stuff. Yeah. But decluttering. Like, yeah, exactly. I, like I love to, inbox zero. Yeah. It's very soothing. And you, the Virgo and you, I you know, probably salutes and honors the Virgo and me. Um, <laughs> I feel like I've designed websites that uh-huh. have been feng shui. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you can apply it to anything. Yeah. Huh. I need to I need to do it again in my life. I can, I'm just talking to you going like, yeah, I need to go through everything. You're kind of good like that, though. You're not. Uh, things, but it helps to. I, I, I've got this thing where it's like, it looks good on the surface, but then you open up a closet. And you're like, yeah. Uh-oh. You but know. that's like stage one. Yeah. Right? You have yeah. a party. You put stuff in the closet and in the drawer. Yeah. But th- that stuff knows that it's in there. Yeah. And we can feel that it's in there. Yeah. That's what I need to take care of now. What is the book you recommend for like home stuff? I know you said move your stuff, change your life That's because okay. Karen Rao Carter wrote it. It's hilarious. She's the original title for it was uh, good lay, good pay feng shui. <laughs> oh, I like <laughs> and, it. So it has a sense of humor. Too, yeah. Too. And our, my feng shui master is hilarious. It's a little Hawaiian guy named Nate Batoon. And we study with the same teacher and master teacher. And Karen's wrote written the book that I would start with. Okay. And I think it's simple. It's playful and it's really helpful that's awesome oh my god this is so fun yay okay well tell us where everyone can find you and all your work and all your i'll be here all week i'll be here right on (laughs) glendale boulevard um rearranging the chairs (laughs) yes i've got my my work cut out for me um you can find me on all the you know sort of major platforms at me joe town so at me right so at me on twitter or instagram we at me at me joe town like you don't have to type at oh yeah in order to type in the name of the person (laughs) so on twitter or instagram i don't know if you need an at on instagram but it's me joe town okay uh and then the performer's mindset is my company and Mm -hmm. the better podcast that we just produced is you know produced in season one by my company um so you know you can find all the information on the podcast there and um yeah, you can also probably just find me in life. I feel like, you know, sometimes we just bump into people we're supposed to know. I know. So maybe if uh, maybe if our listeners just move their TV to another place, suddenly Joe, Joe, will Joe, will Joe will appear. Hey, what are you doing behind my TV? Ding. Or when you have like a commune, then we can, you can host a feng shui class and everyone yeah. here will come. Yes. We'll get some peeps. Amazing. Dude, you're awesome. Thanks yeah. for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Time. I had a great time, Bo. Thanks, Thank Meryl. you. I told you he was good looking. I believe I don't you. Mind, I don't mind saying that. You know, there's just some some dudes that you're like, I get it. I get yeah. it. I totally get it. Like Jason Momoa. I get it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Brad Pitt. Younger Brad Pitt. Younger even Brad older Pitt. Brad Pitt. I get it. Drew Carey. For me, uh, for sure. Okay. Okay. But Joe Town. Yeah. I get it.
And once again, damn it, after we stopped recording, I completely forgot to, I really wanted him to talk about doing Elvin and the Chipmunks and then the Omen. Like he has such crazy mm-hmm. different roles sure, and different things. Sure. And was it Elvin that he was talking about that he did some voice stuff for it too? Uh, or maybe Garfield, that or Garfield, or, I think. Yeah, I don't know. But he has a, a very impressive roster of work. And just a really easy, nice guy. Please go check out his podcast and and his book. Uh, he's got a lot of good things to say, and I think mm-hmm. he's helping people grow. So uh, We're going to fold him into the mix of our friendship. That's always my goal. He's already there. He's okay, already good. There. He's folded. Folded night, in. Night in a sleeping bag with us. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> You're never leaving. <laughs> uh, thanks for listening, everybody. And thanks again to Joe. We'll see you next time. This episode of Campfire Shit Show was produced by Bo Hufford and Meryl Climo. It was edited by Bo Hufford, and the theme song was composed and sang by your friendly camp director, me, PB, and J. If you've got a question or you want to be the next camper of the week, email us at campfireshitshow at gmail.com. Say hi to Bo and Merrill on Instagram at campfireshitshow, and please don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. Well, kids, it's time to pack up the camp and put out the fire. But don't you worry. We'll see you soon on another episode of the Campfire Shit Show.